They lost their satisfaction. They lost their peace. They lost their confidence because of sin. Did God know where they were? It says he asked, where are you? Yes, he knew where they was, but he wanted them to recognize where they was. They, they left the presence of God. They, they sinned and their eyes were open. It's kind of like children today in our homes when they are our grandchildren in my age that you know, if they do something wrong, they, they, they show guilt or they run and hide for a while. And they hid themselves and they were foolish. And maybe that's a good question for us to think about. Where are you in God's sight, in his eyes? You know, God, God knows all things. He knows where we are. He knows our thoughts before we know them. And it's just good to remind ourselves of that. Even though he dangled the prospect in their eyes to be wiser, they were, they were losers. In fact, they lost this beautiful setting that they were in. They were driven from the garden, as you know, and the curses came upon them. And just to think, it started with a, a little doubt, a little dissatisfaction. And in the end of, the, as we read in verse 13, that the serpent was the one that the woman said, deceived me. But she confessed, I did eat. And uh, maybe I should read what it says in uh, <clears throat> First uh, Timothy. If you want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, talking about Adam and Eve, it says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So I, I don't know what you think about that verse, but... You could draw a number of conclusions, but Adam was in the wrong as well because he did eat. He maybe wasn't deceived. Maybe he, was, he went into it with his, his wide open, but he ate also. So he was a sinner as well. Now let's consider some questions and thoughts just to help get us get us thinking a little deeper into this subject maybe I won't answer all these questions uh, like they should be answered maybe I won't speak to all the issues but these are some questions you can think about you remember I said we were created with a void that only God can fill 
So is it possible to fill that void that God placed in us? And I'd say, amen, it is. It is possible. In our evil, wicked world today, we can fill that void that we are satisfied, that our desires are complete. As was discussed in our Sunday school class, various aspects of idols. And so this question is, how can we avoid the love of money? And, and we'll get into that a little deeper later. How can we avoid the love of money? Here's a follow-up question that maybe will help you. At what point does one become covetous? Yeah, at what point do you become covetous? Covetous. Covetous. I'll get it right after a while. Did you ever think about that? See, it's the process of gradualism. It's the process. It may start out in little things. Like, like when we were children, you know. We, we liked the bigger toy that maybe our friend had. We wish we could have had the bigger toy. Then when we were adults, maybe it's the bigger truck, more powerful tractor, or what point do you become covetous? And I think if we search our hearts, and we could ask God to show us that if we're brave enough to see at what point we become covetous, we can, we can repent of that. Then based on that, here is a good question we as parents, as we deal with our children. What should we tell our children when they see other families that have a lot of things we don't and they want? Okay, now follow me back to the root. If we as parents are covetous, then how can we tell our children not to be? How can we explain to them in practical terms how to be satisfied with what they have if we're not satisfied with what we have? And it goes back to our verse that God will satisfy our desires and of course if our desires are proper and right. Well, he will, he will purify us and, and, and we can grow to the point that we won't desire money and things to the point that it takes our focus off of God. And maybe a more practical question to get really to the root of this is at what point do we cross the line of having more than we need? Now, that's an interesting question. What do you need? One of the things I do at work uh, is I'm, I'm the purchasing agent, and so an employee will come to me and says, uh, I need this. And I, I challenge him sometimes. Now, I said, now, wait a minute. Do you need it or do you want it? And that's a sobering thought when we 
thinking about the possessions we have, when do we cross the line of having more than we need? And I think we all recognize that we're just overflowing with abundance. When we consider the people in the war zones in Ukraine and third world countries, and, and we're just so blessed. And what are we doing with it? So building on that is another question. When is, when is there conflict between laying up treasures in heaven and our many possessions on earth? At what point does that become a conflict? See, these are practical questions that I'm asking you to consider. At what point does that become a conflict? And if it is a conflict, we better do something about it. And the last question in this section, is it possible to be satisfied while we're on this earth? And the answer is yes. It is possible to be satisfied. So, the next point is being coming dissatisfied because of the love of money. And I want to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Some familiar verses there. And I think that's one of the driving forces in our day that leads to dissatisfaction is the love of money. That doesn't necessarily mean you have it or have all you want. It just means there's a love for it there. Notice what he says here in verse 5 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's talking about false teachers that are teaching against the truth. They're, and I'm breaking in here at verse 5. says they're perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. They're destitute of the truth. Isn't that sad? They, you know, they, they don't have the truth. But it uses that word supposing. They're supposing that gain is godliness. And you know, a lot of preachers of our day and in the past generation or two promoted that. You know, if, you're, if you serve God, you will become wealthy and all that. It says you're supposed to withdraw yourself from those kind of people. And it's so precious as it says in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. But for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we will carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptations and snare, and many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they erred through the, from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, hope, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, wherein thou art called and hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. 
And we may be tempted in our life also, we might come to the conclusion, well, God has blessed me with so many earthly things, apparently that means that I'm in right relationship with him. Not necessarily. We need to remind ourselves of that. We need to daily read his word. And I've been impressed with people that read God's word every day. Uh, and, and they may do it for a couple years before they make a change. But God is continually through his Holy Spirit reminding them of their situation, if they're, if they're in sin, or if they're uh, backslidden, or if they're kind of cool toward God. And God, of course, has mercy on us as his children, but we are either his child or we not. And he will direct us in that. And of course, the verse says that godliness with contentment is great gain and notice what comes first it says godliness we need to be godly and then contentment comes then we're satisfied there's a verse in second corinthians 9 8 said god is able to make all grace abound towards you having all sufficiency in all things many abound unto every good work I really like verse 7, and I hope you get the significance of that. Okay, when we all were a baby at one time or another, and if you would, if while your parents were, if we're old, we can't go back to our parents, but you could ask your parents, when I was born, did I bring anything along? No, you know that. It says right here that you didn't bring anything in this world. And it's a, it's a, that fact, we, we, there's no doubt, I don't think I've ever heard anybody argue that fact, that somebody brought something into this world. But it's saying it's a greater fact that you're not going to take anything out. That's greater than the fact that you brought nothing in. You've probably heard the story about the, the man that passed. I, I'm assuming he was a well-do, wealthy man, and he wanted a significant cent, uh, amount of money put in his casket because he was going to take it with him. But there was another gentleman that found out about it, and so he wrote him a check and put the check in the casket and took the money. That was wise thinking, I assume. But, but see, that, that, that fact that you're not going to take anything out is, is absolute. And that's why some of these questions need to be answered. See, our life needs to be satisfied in serving God and not accumulating possessions just by, for the sake. And I'm impressed with verse 8. I've been in third world countries. And you know, the gospel is universal for everyone, everywhere. <clears throat> and it says that when you have food and raiment, it's possible to be content. That means when you have something to eat, 
You have food, and if you want to add shelter, that's okay. But God knows you can be content at that point. And anything above that is God's blessing upon us, and we should treat it that way. And that's amazing that we can be content. It's possible to be content. And I believe that's why Christians in these poor circumstances and settings in these third world countries, they, they're just overflowing with the joy of the Lord. And they're wanting other peoples to experience that same joy. And they have food and they have raiment and that's it, pretty much. And God knows that. And, and, and we're, it's so easy for us to lose sight of that. I believe I read this uh, statement somewhere. It says, the more we have, the greater chance of losing our satisfaction. Did you ever think about that one? The more we have, is greater is the chance of losing our satisfaction. So then why do we always want more from our fleshly desires, it seems? Now notice verse 9. It says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation. Doesn't say they are rich. They just want to be rich. And look at the temptation they fall into. It says, and the, uh, it, it becomes a snare to them. And then they get into many foolish and hurtful lusts. And the end of that is really, in plain words, hell. That's what happens to them. They go to hell just because they had a love for money. Because it says they are drowned, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And it goes on to say in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And I've had people challenge me on that. They said, or, or many years ago, I remember one man came up to me and he said, uh, <clears throat> money is the root of all evil. I said, no, it isn't. Not money. That's not the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. There's where our, and that's what the scripture says. It's the love of money. It says, while some coveted, they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so it's admonished, it's us what to do instead of loving money. It says, flee these things, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and patience, and meekness. It may mean to throw the ads in the trash or, or to not concentrate on the news that's giving uh, and the ads because they're leading us to dissatisfaction. It says, you know, fleeing and fighting. It says, fight the good flight of faith. This is action words. It's putting forth effort. Did you know if you're going to be in heaven, you've got to put forth some effort? in a variety of ways in life.
But then if people will come back and say, well, I need a certain amount of money, I mean, you know, just to, just to live. And, and that's true to a point. You know, I knew a dairy farmer back in the 70s. No, this was the early 70s or the late 60s. This was a dairy farmer. Now, listen, the 70s were like, shall we say, 50 years ago? And he said that he kept $40,000 in his checking account just in case something come up. Okay? So today, you farmers... You should probably keep 100000 in your account in case something comes up. Well, how, how does that balance with our trust in God and serving God? It says he will satisfy all of our desires. I wonder if that man was kind of worrying that, you know, he, in the 70s, he needed $40,000 just to feel good that he was covered in case something come up. See how that works? Just remember some of those questions I asked earlier. When do we cross the line? Now let's look at satisfaction in God's total care for us. In Psalm 105, it says, He satisfies our desires with good things. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of that increase. I know that's Old Testament, but it's true for us today. Honor God with your possessions and all that you have, that it's going to honor God and his kingdom. That's number one we need to have in focus. And I thought it's interesting in Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring in the tithes and offerings in your, in your storehouse. There may be meat in my house. Prove me now. Herewith saith the Lord of hosts, If I will not open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Can you imagine that? See, in that setting, God's people were going away from God, and they were not giving their tithes and offerings. And so the the priests had to go back to farming, as it were, to provide for their needs because the people weren't giving for them. And, and then the spiritual decline happened. And when God says he's going to pour out blessings from heaven, that's more than $100,000 in your checking account. He said, you won't even have room to receive it. Can you, you know, the scripture says he daily loadeth us with benefits. So why do we struggle so hard to provide for ourselves? I mean, above what we need, and you can decide what that is. Are we robbing God? You know, one man told me some years ago, he said, <clears throat> we were behind in our offerings to the church. And so the church was putting in a little kitchen, so he said we donated a stove for the church, okay, because he was feeling guilty because he was behind. Why was he behind? Might be a good question to ask.
See, if we lose our devotion to God, we start gradually relying on money and things to fill that void. And the further we go down that road, the more dissatisfaction grows. Think about the blessings that God gives us, the beauty of the earth. And do you ever just stand and look at the stars? And how about the moon when it comes up? It looks like it's filling half the sky over there on full moon. It just peeps up over the ridge. Isn't that beautiful? My wife and I had the privilege the other morning to walk on the beach down in North Carolina. And we wanted to go down there and watch the sun come up. Walking along, and, and the big round sun come up over the ocean. Well, and, oh, and the trees and the leaves. And the prosperity that God gives us. And do we honor God when we prosper? And it, I... Maybe they didn't, I stepped out of the class this morning before they got to the last section, but did you know what it says in there? That they served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, but the next generation or, the, or a generation following didn't even know God. And if you're dissatisfied, are you going to be teaching God the important, are you going to be teaching your children the importance of God for the next generation? How sad if, the, if another generation raises up that doesn't even know God. And we have forgiveness and we're adopted into the family of God and well, I need to bring this to a close. Two verses yet. Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I will behold thy faith in righteousness. I shall be satisfied. And when I awake with thy likeness. Can we look forward to that? And we're, we're satisfied on this earth knowing that that is yet to come. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. Right here, this morning, in this, this church house, we can be experiencing that joy that we are the sons of God. And if we're the sons of God, why do we need thousands of dollars in our hands? He's going to take care of us. Of course, we, we need to use our resources wisely. But know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So if we are satisfied now, we can look forward to being in his presence. And if we are not satisfied, we'd better find out why. Shall we have a song? And I'll turn it back to Brother Brad. Say.